pray for this man and for his colleagues. And I pray, Father, that you will give them great wisdom to lead our nation at this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 91 says, includes, If you say the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guide you in all your ways. I will protect you, said the Lord, for you acknowledge my name. Praise the Lord. Father, we do indeed lift our government to you. Lord, we pray for peace in their hearts. And that includes the opposition, Lord. Please, would you bring restoration for our government to, to work together, to work through this crisis. And Lord, we would pray against a second spike. We pray, Father, that more will turn to you and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour as opposed to seeking materialism and things like that. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Exodus 33, 17. Lord, we commend our prayers to you and those that have been said in private in the stillness of our hearts. And uh, we stand on that promise that you will do what you say you will do. And I just pray for Tony now as he comes to give us more of your word, more exposition of, of how you love us and how you guide us. So just bless him and fill him with your spirit as he comes to pray now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tony, over to you. Well, thank you, Mark, for uh, uh, yet yeah, another good uh, all-age talk, which uh, leads us to the part to where we've got to today. And this is the final part of our study of Exodus, uh, which we've been covering over the last six weeks. And uh, this one's entitled Encountering God's Presence. Now, the book of Exodus is more significant than it first appears. The more you read it, the more... Uh, through the spirit it just throws other things out and uh, the more you look at it the more you learn and understand so the book of exodus tells of events which form the foundation for understanding god and his plan of salvation and the place of his people in his purposes often we don't perhaps think of ourselves as uh, part of god's plan and uh, some of the amazing things that he does through his people but God brings his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt into service to himself. And he does this in order to display his character and his glory. The book starts a path that leads ultimately to Jesus Christ. Reverberating through the rest of scripture in a way that continues to shape God's people for today and in the future. 
Now, when I first began leading worship or speaking in church, it was very, very nerve-wracking. And yeah, I still get nervous today, but I've learned to cope with it. As I know, no one really wants me to fail. And if I do, I'm sure you're all going to be really supportive and in love tell me what I've done wrong. But some of the ways that I'm able to cope with this um, are in different ways. But one of the most important one in my early days uh, was knowing that I had someone who would always be there for me, no matter what happened. And, I, and in the same way, I would also be there for him. And this person was Simon Parrish. And uh, we had an agreement that uh, when either of us were at the front, and things were not going too well, all we had to look, do is to look at each other. And as we looked each other in the eyes, he would give me a beaming smile, or I would give him a beaming smile. And it's that encouragement that enables, certainly me, whether it was the same for Simon, he was just being nice, um, but enabled me to carry on. And it was just amazing to know he was there. So perhaps not hugely significant in the grand scheme of things, but one where on these occasions, his presence and my presence mattered to each other. So with that in mind, as we look at this passage, and we reach the point now after the golden calf has been uh, uh, produced by Aaron and the people, and it's the exchange between God and Moses in Exodus 32, verses 7 to 14. And it follows Israel's greatest moment of failure, where they build the golden calf and worship it. And in this passage, we see a change in God's stance to the people. I don't know if you've noticed it before, but in chapter 32, verse 7, God says to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt now, notice it's your people, not my people, and God is angry with them for what they've done in making this golden calf. So he calls them Moses' people, uh, your people, and uh, you brought them out of Egypt. Now, I don't know whether you're like me, but uh, often we can do similar things when we're angry, and perhaps uh, angry with the children, and uh, I'm sure you've never said it, but I know I have, and uh, where I've said to Val, look what your son or your daughter has done now. Now, I must admit, I don't do it too often with the children, uh, especially as they've gone, so I need something else now. So I blame the cat. Um, now, in reality, the cat belongs to Val and it belongs to Paul. It does not belong to me. Now, when she does something wrong, like she's very clever and will bring a mouse in or whatever, I turn to Val and say, look what your cat has done. You had better go and sort it out. Now, I'm sure you're not like that, um, but uh, that's something that uh, I'm quite good at, of blaming um, Val for some of the things that um, the cat does. So in chapter 32, verse 11, Moses then interacts with God and he tries to turn it round by suggesting to God or reminding God that they are his people. And he says, why should your anger burn against your people that you brought out of Egypt? And what has brought this anger 
in God towards his people. While the people gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and tried uh, and, and were tired of waiting for Moses to return. And they came to Aaron asking him to make gods to go before them. The people feel that they've been deserted by Moses and deserted by God. And the people feel very uncomfortable about the situation, as there is something comforting about seeing someone or just knowing that they are there. And I use the example of Simon, of uh, how I felt comfortable seeing him in the con congregation. So knowing that God is with them offers protection, it offers security, it offers care, and it was something that the Israelites seemed to need all the time. Left them without someone at the front and they'll go and do their own thing as we have saw with the golden calf. But I guess we're all like the Israelites and need to know that God is with us in all situations, which of course he is and he's promised to do. But sometimes at the darkest times, we forget that God has promised to be there with us. So having heard their request, Aaron complies. And if you notice, he didn't put up much of an argument against it and goes about making a calf idol of gold as a replacement for God. It was a God of the kind they later will worship in the land of Canaan. See, the people have lost sight of Moses and so lost sight of God. In turn, they've lost their direction and long for a visible image of God and his presence to lead them on. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm in that sort of position, um, there's a psalm that uh, I've got um, uh, a bookmark in and it permanently stays there. Because when I lose sight of God, I'm brought back to Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And it's just an amazing psalm that I just feel so comfortable when I read it, knowing that God is there at all times. But the people forgot that. And God reacts to the people's sin and he, ang he, he reacts with passion and with anger. I mean, after all, why shouldn't he? They violated the very first of his commands. And in Exodus 20, verse three, we read, you shall have no other gods before me. And as Mark uh, 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 told us in uh, his part, that they hadn't received the Ten Commandments. And yet they knew who God was. God had done so much for them. How could they not know that God was there regardless whether or not they could see him or could see Moses? But for this sin, God is going to punish them severely. And he shares his intention with Moses to destroy them. God tries to send Moses back to the people to share with them his anger 
at what they have done. You see, Moses knows that God is a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. After all, he heard their cry when at the hands of the Egyptians and delivered them. And so he reasons with God on behalf of the people. And within his reasons, he gives a couple of arguments. And first of all, he, he argues to intercede for the people. So one is for the honour of God's name among the Egyptians. We know that God cared what the Egyptians thought because he sent the plagues on them to show that he was God. He could have just destroyed them at that time and then freed his people. But he wanted them to know that he was God. And so Moses reminds him of that. He also argues by reminding God of his own promises. When God had initially revealed himself to Moses, he declared that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in chapter 3, verses 6 and 15. He had promised to deliver them out of Egypt into the land he had promised them. So after the exchanges between God and Moses, God relents and agrees not to destroy them for the sin they have committed by worshipping the golden calf. Now, is God really worried about what the Egyptians might think and say? Does God need to be forced to remember past promises and oaths? Well, of course, the answer is no. However, God is not inaccessible. Rather, he is passionately involved with all humans and his creation. He listens to what Moses has to say. And in listening to what Moses has to say, God changes his mind. But God not only hears our prayers and our petitions, but answers them and intervenes the lives of people and those that we ask him to get involved with. Our God is faithful to his promises yesterday, today, and forever. He is with us and dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. So following the fall of the people into idolatry and Moses pleading with God on their behalf, new stone tablets are formed. The covenant relationship is reaffirmed and there is a further unfolding of the name of God in chapter 34 in verses 6 and 7. And as God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What an amazing revelation of the character of God. And this stands as the Bible's fullest description in the name and nature of God. Something of its significance is seen in the amount of times it's quoted or alluded to elsewhere in the Old Testament. In Numbers, in 2 Chronicles, in Psalms, in Jeremiah, in Joel, in Jonah and Nahum. The statement holds together God's judgment along with his mercy, already indicated in the commandment about idolatry and demonstrated in the golden calf incident in Exodus. 
Towards the end of Exodus, we read that the tabernacle and the ark were built as God had instructed them. The tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. And if you remember back to the beginning of uh, our trip in Exodus, it was a significant day as when he led them out was the first month of the first year. Uh, God brought them into freedom out of Egypt. So once complete, God's presence filled the tabernacle. He localized his presence in the tabernacle for the benefit of his people. And in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. But in an even more significant and specific way, the ark served as the place of the presence of God. His presence among his people brought them great assurance. Did you know what's amazing about this? That our amazing, all-powerful, holy God wants to dwell amongst his grumbling, complaining, arguing, and sinful people. I'm sure that doesn't sound like us uh, and only the Israelites, but it is us, that we are grumbling, we are complaining, we argue, and we are a sinful people. But our holy God wants to dwell with us and to be with us. So again and again, God's people confirm that the covenant is maintained with them only on the basis of God's love and nothing that we have done. And this love is ultimately demonstrated in Jesus Christ. In John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what can we learn from this passage for us today? Well, the answer is that we need God's presence as much as the Israelites needed it while here on earth. His presence offers protection, security, care, and a guide to lead us to the land he's promised to all who believe, and that is an eternity with him. God's presence has been made fully available to us by the sacrifice of Jesus, our pure and spotless lamb. When we became Christians, we were made totally new. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We are now able to fellowship with God in a closer and more intimate way than any of God's people before the coming of Christ. We now have God himself dwelling within us, his very spirit fellowshipping with ours. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion. It is a command. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5:18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We as believers must continually be filled with the Spirit in order to know God's presence with us and access the whole of the relationship with him and the fullness of life available to us through him while on earth. We need God's spirit dwelling within us to live out the life he's called us to live through the sacrifice of Jesus. 
Unfortunately, we're leaky vessels and we need to be filled and filled and filled at every opportunity. And in this current lockdown, a number of us are feeling lonely, not living with anyone else or going out to meet others. Well, the good news is that we're not alone. God is always with us and he's promised he will be there. Hebrews 13 verse 5, God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is having the presence of God with us all the time. As we finish now um, our look at Exodus and we move on to, to new things in the coming weeks, I trust that you found it encouraging. I trust you found it challenging. I know I have, and uh, I've learned so much through going through this that I didn't know before. And that's the amazing thing of God and uh, the spirit living in us, that it reveals uh, much more than we can ask or imagine through the power of him working within us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can see uh, you at work in each of our lives. We can see it in our own life. We can see it in the lives of all those that we know are yours. And Lord, we pray that we might just continue to focus on you and allow you to fill us again and again with your Holy Spirit, that we might be the people that you want us to be. And Lord, in this time of lockdown, Lord, help us to know your presence is there. When we're, when we're awake or even when we're asleep, you're always there, always caring for each one of us. And so, Lord, at those times, perhaps when we forget, will you just remind us that you are faithful to your promises and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tony. That's great. Um, so in response, Sarah is now going to lead us in a couple of uh, songs of, of worship. I can remember to share my screen.
Yes, Father, we worship your holy name. You are rich in love. You are slow to anger. And we just thank you and we love you. Amen. So we're going to close our service now with a, a blessing that I'm just going to read for you. Let the majesty of the Father be the light by which you walk. The compassion of the Son be the love by which you walk. And the presence of the Spirit be the power by which you walk and bring you peace this day and all days. Amen. Amen. Well, it's uh, been great to have you with us this morning. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank no, you, you're Mark. welcome. Thank you, Mark. Thank, Thank you, you, Tony. Thank you, Vicky. Have, Thank you, Mark. Have a lovely Thank week, you. everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you for everything. Yeah, great Thank message, you Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Thank you, everybody. Well done, Sam and Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. <clears throat>